psychology nerds, and welcome to another episode of Psychology and Stuff, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. I'm Allison Jane Martingano, the new host of Psychology and Stuff, and I'm here with a new guest. She's a licensed psychologist, cyber psychologist, and online safety educator. In 2009, he finalized his online aggressor concept called iPredator. Since then, he has educated and advised the private and public sectors involving cyberbullying, cyberstalking, internet addiction, and online safety. It's Dr. Michael Nutitelli. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today? Oh, good afternoon, doctor. Thank you for having me on, and I'm honored to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, so we're going to talk a, a lot today uh, about the dangers of, of the online world, including what it's like to be cyber attacked, defamed, cyber stalked. Before we get into all that negativity, I wanted to ask you at the beginning, what's one piece of technology or website that you can't live without? That I can't live without? Well, most people would probably say mobile devices, but to be quite honest, I would have to say my desktop. I mean, I do all my work, uh, all my patients, all my you know, uh, clinical notes, everything is done via the internet. And also working with my patients during the day, I often use YouTube, I'll print out articles. So my my desktop is indispensable. My mobile device, I a long time ago, I realized how addicting and how enveloping, you know, uh, mobile devices can be. So I only use my mobile device for emergency if there's a patient issue, so forth and so on. But other than that, I guess I could say my desktop. Oh, wow. So you actually do therapy um, over the computer. No, no, no. During the COVID, uh, some of my therapists, uh, you know, as you know, telehealth, teletherapy. But Mm -hmm, no, mm -hmm. I personally still went in to work with my patients. Oh, okay. All right. So you do make that divide when it comes to your your therapy that it's better in person. Yeah. So but when I'm in the office sitting, I work with the chronically mentally ill, schizophrenic, schizoaffective, you know, which is, is people with serious issues. I mean, some of them are mild to severe, but they're, I see my patients in residential facilities where they live. And what I do is I, I have see, my, I my nice big laptop in my office. And oftentimes I'll play music depending on, you know, their pension. I will print out articles. I will show them, you know, different video clips related to anxiety, depression, so forth and so on. So I'm heavily, I heavily, I really use a lot of, uh, you know, computer time and stuff, you know, to help educate. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, and and I think that's really important to, to talk about sort of how indispensable some of these uh, pieces of technology become to us, because what, what seems so difficult about the topics that we're going to talk about today is it sometimes feels impossible to avoid them, to avoid being online, to avoid uh, using technology. Uh, and so, I guess what I'm saying is that advising people to like avoid the internet is almost like telling someone not to go outside. That that that, that seems like a, a not possible solution. No, but it is important. It's a good that you, it's a good point that you bring up. It, I mean, I hate to say moderate everything in moderation. I'm a Gavon. I love food, so <laughs> uh, you know I'm a big foodie. Um, so when we talk about moderation, of course, I mean you know today most of us, at least people that are are listening to this uh, podcast. From the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, we are enveloped by the internet, social media. Um, And the downside of that is the potential for internet addiction, such as with uh, online gaming and now with uh, online uh, gambling and stuff like that. 
but um, mm -hmm. people are spending an inordinate amount of time online. And then when they walk out of their home, they're carrying what? They're carrying their, their cell phone, their, their internet enabled mobile device. And what we're seeing now is people are spending more time on their with their mobile device online than they do if they're sitting, you know, in front of a desktop or with their laptop. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Michael, I'd, I'd love it if you could share with us, just to get us started, uh, the journey that led you to the creation of the iPredator concept. Okay. Well, first and foremost, uh, you know, I was a forensic psychologist in my past life. Uh, now I'm a clinical psychologist. But originally, as a forensic psychologist, I worked in the courts part-time. I also, you know, did as a clinical psychologist. But, you know, so I worked in civil, family, and criminal courts, and I've always had a, pay, a penchant for studying the psychopath, the sociopath, the evil is what religious folks would call it. And to this day, I'm still very interested in studying the dark side. So back in 2006, I wrote a concept which is available at, at the website called Dark Psychology. And what dark psychology is the study of human, the study of the dark side of human consciousness. And again, at that time, I was doing a lot of assessments and also doing a lot of, um, you know, research about the dark side, pedophilia, deviant behavior, all of that stuff. And it was around 2008, 2009. And again, back then, you know, cyberspace, the Internet was still, although it was around, it wasn't that prevalent to all of us. But, you know, through my research and through thinking about, you know, what do criminals, you know, like to do? Well, they like to hide their identity and boop, that is when the light bulb went off. And I realized, well, if I'm a deviant, if I'm a pedophile, if I'm a criminal, if I'm a stalker, where better to go than to go to the internet? Why? Because I can hide my identity. And that's when iPredator was born. And what iPredator is, is a dark side of cyberspace concept that includes eight different types of online assailants, online aggressor. And that's when I created okay. iPredator back mm -hmm. in 2009. I, that's when I'd written uh, iPredator. And here we are in 2023 going into 2024 and it seems like the growth of iPredator, not to toot my own heart, seems like it continues to get larger and bigger and bigger. Uh, yeah. So the the term iPredator, which which you coined back in 2009, it's a really a evocative term. And I think it gets people people thinking. Can you break down what that term encapsulates, those eight types that you were talking about? Sure. Okay. Let's make sure I have them. I should have them memorized after <laughs> saying this. I have time. <laughs> Okay, so of the eight types, we have the first one, which is pediatric specific, and not that I engage, I get involved in the semantics when a volunteer calls me and say they're being cyberbullying, but yet they're 50, 50 years old. But in terms of my concept, and, and among those of us that work in the industry of cyber psychology and online safety, cyber uh, bullying, which is number one, is child on child cyber attacks. Cyberbullying is the only one that includes children. All right. So but when we move into the adult manifestation of cyberbullying, we have cyber harassers, Internet trolls, and the most serious is cyber stalking. Now, that doesn't now with cyberbullying's children, when children are cyberbullying, they can cyber harass, they can Internet troll and they can cyber stalk. 
But when we're talking about adult cyberbullying, it is either cyber harassment, cyber stalking, or internet trolling. Then we have cybercrime that most of us know about. Cyber terrorism, thank God that hasn't really taken hold here in society yet. And then the darkest and most deviant of the eye predator typologies is your online child predators and online child pornography consumers and distributors. Those eight types of online assailants make up the concept of iPredator. When I was reading about, about your, your concept of iPredator, you make this uh, compelling comparison or, or metaphor with the tale of Little Red Riding Hood. And I found that, I found that really compelling. Uh, so you suggest that like Little Red Riding Hood, many of us are naively walking through the, the forest of the internet, uh, sort of unaware of the wolves that are looking behind that anonymity uh, that the technology provides. And so I was reflecting on this a little bit, and I was wondering if you could sort of expand on how the principle of cyber stealth plays into the hands of modern day predators, and maybe perhaps share some of your insights on what red flags we should be wary of so that we don't fall prey like Little Red Riding Hood. Wow, that's a big question. We could do three shows, <laughs> Doctor. And, and first and foremost, I want to say thank you. The fact that you even know about that, that one small, I have to say thank you. So to all your listeners, God bless this doctor, because many of the radio shows, many, and not that I disrespect it, but the fact that you even took the time to even under to even think, I mean, thank you, and it, it's definitely an honor. But when I mentioned about Little Red, let me just present to you very quickly are the two concepts. So, like I said, with iPredator, these are online aggressors, and there are eight different types. And when we're talking about whether we're talking about the college age population, young adults, adults, we are talking about internet trolling, cyber harassers, and cyber stalking. But the thing is, when we go online, the first thing we have to take into consideration is a subconcept of iPredator called ODOR. And that acronym is Offline Distress Dictates Online Response. And that is the true cyber psychology or psychological core of iPredator. Okay. Now, obviously, iPredator has criminology, criminal psychology components to it. But ODOR, Offline Distress Dictates Online, online Response has to do with the victim and the perpetrator. And really what that means is, however my offline state of function is, my psychology, my state of mind is offline, I believe it directly affects and influences what we do online. Now, in cyberspace and the internet, there are only three ways we can manage and manipulate information. We can compile information, we can disseminate information, and we can exchange information, all right? All of those come together, uh, you know, it, what, what it comes down to is how do we interpret that information that we are taking in, that we're sharing, and we're giving up. But so if offline, I had a bad day at work, if I just smoked a joint or just, you know, drank a couple of uh, cocktails, if I'm upset with my loved one, if I'm manic, uh, <laughs> if I'm stressed out and haven't slept because I've been studying, you know, 24 hours for a final, the, I believe that is directly going to influence what I do online. So mm -hmm. offline distress dictates online response is the cyber psychological understanding that my what, what I'm feeling offline directly affects what I'm doing online. Now, 
which walks hand in hand with odor is what I call IVI, which is I predator victim intuition. So if you're going online and let's say you are depressed, despondent, discouraged, I believe you're going to go online and you're going to not completely come out and say, doctor, I'm very depressed and sad today, but you're going to go online and you're going to present either through writing, through visual, through whatever, you're going to communicate information that you are in a negative state of mind. So that either could be if I'm depressed, if I'm anxious, if I'm angry. Well, under IVI, I predator victim intuition, an I predator, depending on their skill level, they pick it up. So I predators are out there looking for those types that are discouraged, despondent, angry, so forth and so on. So they walk hand in hand. So the more despondent, the more discouraged an online user is when they go online, the higher probability they have of being targeted. So when you put those two together, that is the cyber psychology of iPredator. Wow. And that's, that's such an interesting idea because it, it really suggests that um, some days and sometimes we're, we're more susceptible to these online risks than, than other days. And yeah, yeah. That's so interesting because we think about how, um, you know, drunk texting is a bad idea, uh, but maybe also <laughs> drunk Googling and drunk Facebooking are also a bad idea. Right. Well, and, and you, you, but you hit the nail on the head because when you say drunk, we're, you know, obviously we're talking about being intoxicated. It's very easy to understand, you know, uh, uh, agents, whether it be alcohol, whether it be marijuana, whatever it may be, can certainly influence, you know, our, our, how we behave. But if you really take into consideration, you know, the psychology, if you believe in the psychology, the study of human behavior and how state of mind affects who we are, you know, if you believe, you know, how I am offline, if you believe that it can impact your interpretation of what you disseminate, what you share and exchange, okay, then you have to take into consideration and I'm not saying, doctor, that you have to be sober as a judge when you go online. <laughs> but what I'm asking people to do is, is to check yourself, is to understand and forgive my New York language. But if you're pissed off, it's not a good idea to go online and now engage in a political discussion. Because if you do that, you're at a much higher rate of maybe saying something that you shouldn't say or doing something that you shouldn't do, so forth and so on. And again, doctor, I'm not saying we have to be even keeled when we go online, but it's always understanding that there are hundreds, if not thousands, and if something goes viral, potentially millions of people that can see your content. And, uh, you know, if you're presenting yourself as racist, misogynistic, uh, you know, any of the ists, you know, any of the, the extreme ideology, you really can get yourself in trouble. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I want to follow up a little on that idea, actually, because as I'm thinking about it, um, so we're, we're, we're more vulnerable, uh, potentially, to eye predators uh, when we're, you know, distressed, as you're saying. Uh, so maybe we just had a fight with a loved one or, or something like that. And, and for me, I'm thinking that if I'm upset, that's a time where I think I normally would turn maybe to social media or, or technology to seek comfort or advice from others. And so what would you recommend sort of as an alternative in that case? Well, there doesn't have to be an alternative. It depends on what you do when you go online. So let's say you're upset. You just got in a fight with your boyfriend and you go online and you watch Netflix and you watch, I don't know, a, a, a rom-com, a great romantic comedy. So 
you know, it, it's understanding because I have folks ask, well, well, oh, Dr. Mike, what do you want to do? Turn off the internet? And my response is no, I, I love the internet. I live, I mean, goodness gracious, as I said earlier, uh, a lot of my time spent with my patient is using, using the internet to help, you know, to educate them. So, I mean, mm. I, I'm not saying turn it off and walk away, but it's what you do when you go online. So if you're upset yeah. and you got an argument, if you're going to go online, you know, is do something constructive, do something that is going to, to soothe you, that's going to help with the anger, that's going to help with the anxiety. Certainly don't go into an emotionally, politically charged forum uh, when you're already angry and now engage in conversations with others that may, you know, lead you to get into a flame war. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good piece of advice. So it's not it's not the internet or technology per se, but how we use it and certain activities being more Most risky certainly. than others. Most certainly, yes. Yeah. Well, actually, that's a great segue into into what I wanted to to cover next. Um, so just so so our our listeners know, we connected Michael through social media. Actually, um, you commented on one of the podcast posts, and that's eventually how we got you here on the show. So. I feel like that's a great positive example of the connections that can be made online. Yes, uh, but and, obviously and bring, not. And if I may be so before I could, but when we talk yes, about social, when we talk about social media, we all, all of us, no matter your age, obviously, I mean, for children, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, children that are, are certainly vulnerable, they had, well, their parents that, you know, everybody's got to be a little bit more careful when we're talking about minors. But those of us that are, are listening to this podcast, it's understanding that social media is incredibly powerful. Uh, one of the things, and I know this may sound crazy and it hasn't happened yet, but you know, walking through in my studying uh, of dark psychology of human consciousness, I have always said that cyberspace is an extension of human consciousness. Let me say that one more time. I know that may sound a little crazy, and it is a little crazy right now, but give it a couple of decades. Cyberspace is an extension of human consciousness. What I believe is that social media, the internet, the digital universe is slowly but surely uh, like a Xerox copy is mimicking ourselves. So when you look at the human brain, goodness gracious, we're looking at 1.1 to 1.3 trillion neuronal connections, okay? So when we look at the digital universe, I believe slowly but surely, cyberspace, the digital universe is replicating the human brain. Yeah, well, ref reflecting on what you're saying there, so um, with it, uh, social media being an extension of human consciousness, I'm, I'm thinking of it as an extension of our identities and our, our, our concepts of ourselves. So I'm I'm thinking about my own online footprint. So um, I have a, a pretty curated social media presence where I only put up content that I, I wouldn't mind my students uh, sharing with me when they come into the classroom. Uh, but that does sometimes feel a little bit false and though I'm presenting like a sanitized picture of my life. So I'm wondering what your thoughts and reflections no, are no, about I'm how sorry, much of ourselves doctor. should we Put no, up. this this is what, and again, I'm not tooting my own heart, horn, doctor, but you are spot on. Um, I have uh, 12 different social media accounts, and I've had them for years. Um, is every other day where I don't know, I go and I post my graphic design. I post uh, what are called PSA, 
public service, but they're actually educational images that deal with the many different aspects of iPredator. So October, which we just finished, is National Bullying Prevention Awareness Month. So during October, I I publish, I, I put out there, all free and all public domain, are cyberbullying themed images. Okay. But I also, every other day on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, I post cyber stalking, cyber harassment, internet addiction, uh, social media safety, online predation, on and on and on. Uh, and I've been doing this for years. So I do not use social media for personal reasons. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm glad you, you sign off and endorse my, my strategy there. Uh, because it's it's not always been uh, uh, all uh, roses and and candy. Um, so I, I wanted to talk a little bit um, about some of my negative online reactions. Uh, so sometimes after posting online, uh, I've encountered various negative responses from harsh criticism through unwanted romantic advances. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm curious actually where one might draw the line between those sorts of responses and cyberbullying or cyberstalking. Well, if I may, uh, let me just bring real quickly, and that's an excellent uh, avenue to go down, is that internet trolls, okay? We all know about this term, internet trolls. In the old times, back when all of us had desktops in the beginning stages, let's say 2010 to, to 2019, internet trolls were people that oftentimes men, that's changing now, but in the beginning it was mostly men, but now it's you know still predominantly men, but a lot of uh, uh, women are starting to troll as well. But they would go online and their sole purpose was to go online. And this is in in any kind of social media, online gaming, message board forums to provoke you. And forgive my New York language again, is to piss you off. And once they were able to provoke you in anger, they gave themselves the proverbial pat on the back and they would go and they would target somebody else because they would feel good about themselves which is that's something that that's a whole show in and of itself where, you know, they feel good that they were able to upset you. Well, what I created a couple of years ago is what I call the predatory troll. The predatory troll is the the type of online user. Not only is he looking to provoke you online, he now goes after you. He goes after your, your college. He goes after your job. He, he reaches out and calls your family member. He will call, he will contact and do anything he can to utterly character assassinate and destroy your online reputation. And if they're successful, they can actually get you fired. In my life, well, since I wrote my life, since I wrote I Predator in 2010, after working on the weekends, I volunteer uh, helping those that have been cyber attacked. Um, again, I've been doing it. Goodness, we're going on 12 years. I've spoken to hundreds. Um, and it is amazing what predatorial trolls will do where they will literally, uh, through energy effort, and if they have a little bit of money, they will completely work to totally uh, character set and destroy your reputation. And I have, uh, it's been some time, but in the of the hundreds that I've helped, at least a dozen have actually uh, lost a job because of predatory trolls. 
So it's understanding about what you present online, what you share online makes a huge difference in terms of your probability of being targeted. So when you talk about being, you know, getting uh, targeted by negative individuals, it, what it comes down to is, are they just a classic internet troll looking to upset you and then they leave? Or is there a little obsessive compulsive quality? So now they're, they're returning, they're coming back and they're doing it more than once, twice, three times. Um, I've, I've helped out individuals that have gone three to five years being targeted by the same individual. Wow. Okay. So it can get really pretty severe. From Most what certainly. You're yes. Goodness. And what sort of the psychological impact of that on the victim? Well, well, it can definitely uh, traumatize them. Um, The downside is, and I hate to, we are at the beginning of the information, as you know, the information age, which is a period of history, you know, it started like in the the late 1970s, 1983 is the birthday, the the supposed birth of the, the internet. So we're what, 40, 45 years into a period of history that is going to last, I'm assuming, centuries what comes next? What we're seeing now is artificial intelligence, virtual reality, virtual reality, and not so much what we're talking about today, which is nanotechnology. But that triad is going to change the face of society and the human condition going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And as you're saying this, it's making me, me realize quite how much of a shift there's been in the, the last few decades. So I remember when I first started using the internet, it was a very different place, you know, for a start, it made it that screeching noise when you turned it on. Um, but, but now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a while. I, um, but now, you know, uh, the internet is, is everywhere. It's on our phones. It's, it's with us all the time. So the, the, like you say, the risks are there all the time. You, you don't shut it off. It's 24 seven. And so, uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about how the eye predator concept has uh, changed maybe slightly since its inception as technologies become more 24-7. I would say that it's changed in terms of, again, when I wrote eye predator, and I'm not tooting my own horn, maybe I'm just lucky that I thought of it. But originally when I wore eye predator, that came off of dark psychology and always learning about studying and research the psychopath, the sociopath, the the criminal. So what used to be the criminal mind is now the cyber criminal mind. And as we go forward, it's understanding that when folks are are doing a forensic assessment, let's say, they need to begin to understand is what is the, the cyber component related to the assailant? What is the cyber component related to the victim? What is the cyber component related to the community that this is going on? So going forward, we have to understand in all aspects of our society, we have to understand how relevant and how important cyber is, social media, the internet, online gaming, um, anybody can go to the to my website, and one of the things that I've noticed has to answer your question is, and not to say true internet addiction, but we are all enveloped by cyberspace. So when I wrote uh, uh, I Predator back in, well, I started jotting it down 2008, 2009. When I wrote it was in 2010. Even back then, I didn't realize how incredibly how do I say this, large or how impactful, um, you know, the internet information technology, social media would be to society. Yeah. Oh, it's a 
scary future to imagine for certain. Well, it's scary uh, in that if we don't practice, uh, if we don't practice basic online safety, and it all has to do with, you know, risk factors. Um, so again, oh, I, I like off, that. Offline distress dictates online response. Um, if I am, you know, angry, if I am upset and I'm going online and I am, you know, uh, habitually depressed, let's say, I'm going to communicate that online. And eventually those that are looking to engage in nefarious online activities, they're going to pick that up. I predator victim intuition. It's the intuition and the ability for an I predator to know if you would be a good target. And if I can see that you're upset a lot, well, goodness gracious, you are a great target for me. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good to know that we can take steps to, to mitigate our risk uh, in that in that way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to move on now to our, our next segment. Uh, so each episode, uh, I do an Ask the Expert segment uh, where I pose some questions from our listeners. And boy, did we get a lot of questions this week. It really seems like this topic is one that, that really interests people. Um, so I won't have time to go through all of them. Uh, but I uh, hope you don't mind answering a few. Not at all. I'll try my best. And if I can't answer, I'll just say, sorry, I can't answer that. That's quite all right. I love questions, by the way. Well, I, I know that you'll be able to answer the first one because you touched on this, this earlier today. Our first listener's question is, I've heard a lot about internet trolls, but I don't actually know a lot about them. How can you spot if someone is an internet troll and what is the best way to stop them? Ooh, well, that's a good question. Well, the University of Manitoba, and I say this almost every time I do a radio show because I love it, because it really pisses off internet trolls. Because there's internet trolls that are listening to this. There are predatory trolls that are listening to this. There are eye predators that are listening to us. But the University of Manitoba back in 2014 did a huge uh, study uh, looking at internet trolls. And what they came out with, and this is great psychology, called the dark tetrad. And what they found was, is that internet trolls are at much higher rates of being sadistic, Machiavellian, psychopathic, and narcissistic. And that is called the dark tetrad. And that speaks to the personality traits and characteristics of online users. Now, that doesn't make it easier for me to know online but obviously, when you're dealing with people offline on college campus, so forth and so on, um, you can begin to see how people are offline. You can begin to see how they will behave online. But when it comes to Internet trolls, the first thing that we want to look at is how often are they targeting you? Now, as we discussed, the, the classic Internet troll, they're going to go on there and they're going to try to provoke you and get you upset. And at the end of, you know, the, the, that period, that event, they may do it once, twice, they then move on. But if it moves into three, four, five, and now all of a sudden they went to the school website or they were somehow to get your email and now they email because they went to your Instagram account and now they email. Now we're moving into predatory troll uh, area because now it's moving into a whole different realm. Uh, what we're, we're not going to talk about today, but maybe down the road, we can do a show on what I call the online psychopath. Um, psychopathy, that is a whole different, when we talk about the dark side of cyberspace, that is some dark stuff, you know. So, but this is what internet trolls do. So it's 
when they are going online and, and somebody, another online user is provoking you, young people call it flame wars, flame wars, that you can tell they're provoking you. One of the, th- I get provoked all the time. As I said, I've been trolled, goodness gracious, you can read my concept called troll triad where i literally had that's for the psychology uh students i had one troll we're going back to 2015 he wrote a formal letter to the new york state education department office of professional discipline calling for immediate revocation of dr nucitelli's license claiming that i was engaging an attempted homicide by internet (laughs) now as funny as that is, because he, you know, he's a dentist, so he had a, a graduate degree. He was able to format the letter in the exact uh, format that is required to, to lodge a complaint against somebody. And the New York State Ed Department had to do a formal investigation. Now, mind you, when I spoke to them on the phone, they laughed. OK, but needless to say, they had to do an investigation because this troll tried to get my license revoked. Now, doctor, if he had succeeded in that happening, I could have lost my job, lost my career and everything I do. Because as you know, for those of us that are licensed as psychologists, that is required for us to do billing, for us to, and many oftentimes, be respected within our, but he tried, he failed, but this is what's happening. So, when the internet troll moves into more serious stuff, when they start to email you, when they're starting to, you know, contact you and you feel a sense that, you know, you're being followed by them, that's when they're moving into the realm of predatory troll and potentially cyber stalking. Oh, thanks so much for, for explaining that. Uh, internet trolls were, were a particularly hot topic for our listeners this week. Yeah, uh, our next listener also. Also has a question about their dangers, um, specifically for, for children. Uh, so this question is, internet and gaming has become very popular for kids today. How can we teach kids to be aware of internet trolls, what they are, and how they might affect them? I ask because I have a young cousin who plays Minecraft and Fortnite all the time. Is this something that should be a concern? Almost certainly should be a concern. Online gaming, as we all know, is a multi-billion dollar industry. And I predators, whether we're talking about online sexual predators, internet trolls, cyber stalkers, all of them, when they're looking to target children, go to online gaming forums. So it's incredibly important to begin educating a child uh, as young as possible. Now, obviously, we all know you don't have to be a developmental psychologist to understand a 10-year-old, okay, or depending, doesn't matter their age have different levels of maturity. But as young as possible, you need to begin to introduce, you know, I mean, we used to, you know, offline in the pre-information age, it was called stranger danger, you know. It's essentially now converting that to online and teaching children, you know, what occurs online. Now, one of the ideas that, you know, we don't have a lot of time to talk about it today, I call it digital dinner. So whether you're a primary caregiver, a grandparent, uh, a parent, is that even if you have to put the sign up on the refrigerator with a refrigerator magnet, is that every Wednesday is digital dinner. And every Wednesday, we order pizza, we order outside food, excuse me, and we sit down and the child teaches me what they do online. 
Okay. And even if I have a PhD or I'm the father of a concept called I predator, I sit down as I'm eating my, you know, my pizza and I say, you know what, uh, John, tell me a little bit about this Snapchat. What, what is Snapchat all the, you know, Snapchat all about? Or what is it going about this particular online gaming, Minecraft? What is this, you know? So essentially the adult presents him or herself as a novice. Okay. Because what do we know about children, particularly preteens and teens? They already look at their parent, their primary caregiver as a square, <laughs> as being uncool. That's a, that's a great piece of practical advice there, a weekly digital dinner. I, I love that. Thank you. Uh, the, the next, oh, it's great. The, the next question um, is, is slightly different. Uh, this listener asks, I'm wondering if there should be a regulation through government agencies for people who fall into the eye predator category, or if you think that individual personal education is sufficient to prevent eye predators. Okay, I that is a great, whoever wrote that question, send him or her a letter of commendation, <laughs> okay? That is an excellent question, all right? What I believe, again, these are only my beliefs, is that it should be a compulsory educational requirement in all schools, for instance, and again, not to date myself, but when I was young, I had to take health class. Okay. I also had to take metal shop and wood shop, so forth and so on. So, you know, when I took health class when I was in eighth grade, is I was introduced to, you know, drug prevention. It was a little bit before the just say no. I was also introduced to, you know, uh, safe sex, so forth and so on. I believe it should be an educational requirement, goodness gracious, because we're living in the information age and children are spending every waking moment online is there would be every school starting as young as possible, even in elementary school, going forward through high school where kids take a, a, a cyber class where they are taught uh, digital citizenship, which is how to conduct oneself online to the basic ten of it, tenants of online predators, doesn't have to be I predator, whatever term you want to use, and then also elements of internet addiction. When you had asked me before, what I have noticed that has changed is here in 2023, some of it related to COVID and us being sheltered, but even if there was no COVID, I still think it would be occurring, is internet addiction. Internet addiction is not just spending a lot of time online because we all do it any anyway. But what internet addiction is, just like any other addiction, are the negative consequences. So if you suffer negative consequences from your online time, that tells you right there that maybe you need to turn it off and go outside. So I believe that all schools, every class, there should be uh, uh, a cyber class, call it online safety, digital citizenship, where children are introduced to online safety, uh, cyberbullying prevention, and how to conduct oneself online to help them as they go and as they get older. And hopefully they don't become cyber bullies. They don't become internet trolls. They don't become cyber stalkers. And certainly they don't become internet addicted. Wow. Yeah. No, that, that sounds like a, a great policy intervention. I can, I can see people being, uh, I, I feel like uh, it would make, it would make health class more, more relevant if we had that in it. Uh, I don't know whether health I, class. And doctor, I would even take, it, I would even take if it was, I mean, not that it would be put into health class, but I think it should be an educate. 
Because the other thing is, doctor, we are in the information age and this class, okay, starting as early as, I mean, obviously in fourth and fifth grade, you're not going to go into information security and digital forensics, but it begins to set the groundwork to help children learn about we're already in so that by time they get to middle school, by time they get to high school, they understand all that crap that's being said to me online is all I won't use profanity is all, you know, is all fictitious. It's not real because what we don't want to happen, it's already happening is children and young people, doctor, believe what is being said and what is being published about them. I mean, anybody can go onto my site and download my 42 examples of cyberbullying. Now, as we said earlier, cyberbullying applies to children, but you can take any one of those 42 tactics and apply it to adults. And doctor, I ask this all the time, you know, do children learn from adults how to abuse others online or is it the opposite? Who's learning from who, you know? But what we have to understand is, is children need to understand what happens when being cyber attacked. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for, for explaining that and, and how important it is to, to educate our children young. Um, and it's, it's been so great to have your insight as a, as a licensed clinician on the show and as a, a previous forensic psychologist uh, as well. Uh, I'm going to wrap things up shortly, but, but just before we do, um, I'd like to, to ask you, uh, what do you do when you need to take a break from the digital world? Where's your favorite place to go to unwind? Well, if I go real quick, because there's one last thing I want to say for, for your listeners is that from an online sure. safety standpoint, and by the way, I'll just real quick, is bike riding. I'm a huge biking fanatic. Tomorrow's the <laughs> weekend in Brooklyn. I do the Shore Parkway run, which is 25 miles. Bedford Avenue is the longest avenue street in New York City, which is 10.65 miles. I do that. So I bike ride a lot. But what I want to share to your listeners, and again, I say it in almost every interview I do. Personal information, personal information, personal information. I said it three times. I say that because it is direct. The less personal information you share online, the lower likelihood of you having to be targeted. I, I thank you. I, and I, just a huge thank you, uh, Michael, for being a guest on the show today uh, and for answering the questions from our listeners. It's been such a thought-provoking episode with lots of really practical tips, like those ones you're finishing with there for our, for our listeners. So thank you so much. Uh, could you just remind our listeners uh, of your website and how they can access that? Yep, it's very easy. It is ipredator.org.net or .co, okay? So it's ipredator.org. Uh, everything at the website is free. It's public domain. Uh, the 30 assessments, uh, inventories, everything I've created is public domain and free. So you can print it out. You can share it. If you print it out, you don't like it, blow your nose, throw it. You don't even have to give an email address in order to download or print my content. That's a wonderful resource. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you, Dr. Psychology and Stuff is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. The executive producer is Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Rachel Spray. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salix, and our graphic designer is Kimberly Belisi. Special thanks to our guest today. If you haven't already, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website, uwgb.edu slash podcast, to check out past episodes of this and all of our shows. 
I'm your host, Allison Jane Matt Pingano. Keep being amazing.